Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 403 of the podcast. It's March 3rd, 2021. Joining us today is Arno Aurelio. He's coming to us from the Netherlands, and I think you're really going to enjoy a conversation about lean thinking and lean leadership for healthcare. You can find show notes and a link to his book and more by going to leanblog.org slash 403. Thanks for listening, and thanks again to our friends at Styles Associates for sponsoring the podcast. Arno Aurelio, um, he it has a background very similar uh, to my own, and, and I, I think we have a lot of shared experiences and perspectives. His career has progressed like mine. He's evolved from um, engineer to manager to consultant. Uh, he started in the auto industry and has ended up working in healthcare. Is that a, a fair assessment of your background, Arno? Yeah, I would say, yeah. And I, I made a, like a side step to uh, uh, project management. Okay. And part of the progression, and by the way, thank you for being here on the podcast. I got a little bit out of my standard work. No worries. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad uh, we could do this. And Arno and I have crossed paths actually in person when I've had opportunities to go to the Netherlands um, for different healthcare events. And, and I forget, did you ever come to the U.S. for any conferences where we've crossed paths or only in? The yes, Um there was a time when I organized uh, study missions to the U.S. and I visited quite some episodes of the Lean Healthcare Summits. Yeah, and I, I believe there was one where you were the, the master of ceremonies. So, right. yeah, okay, so, so yeah, so that might have been eight or nine years ago. So we've yeah, we've talked and crossed paths a lot over the past decade. Yeah, we did. Um, one other similarity, um, Arno has also uh, become an author. So uh, two books first off written in Dutch. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So the first one was uh, published uh, in 2019 in September. And then uh, last year, 2020, I launched my second book in Dutch in June. And the translation of that book came out this September in 2020. Yeah, exactly that. And um, for those watching, uh, for those listening, you don't see me um, as the YouTube viewers will see holding up a copy of the book. I was able to buy it from Amazon.com here in the States. Um, and it is titled Lean Thinking for Emerging Leaders. And that's going to be the main topic of conversation today. There's so much we could talk about. Let's talk about the book and we'll do podcasts again after this. How, how about that? Yeah, well, that would be awesome. Thank you. So um, congratulations um, on, on the book. And, you know, before we, we, we dive in and talk uh, about the book, can you elaborate a little bit on some of your, your background and career path? I give the very quick summary of it. Yes. So as you mentioned, I'm an engineer from background. Um, I studied mechanical engineering, and but I s soon found out that I have not not a strong passion for technology which is strange maybe for an engineer but i have a passion for people who try to understand and work with technology um 
So I started uh, my uh, master's in uh, what's called innovation sciences currently. At the time, it was called technology and society. It had all different kinds of names. But the most important thing was what happens when people interact with technology. Um, and from there, I uh, became a production manager in um, the automotive industry. In the time uh, that uh, we have one of the first companies that is a third-party manufacturer for the automotive industry, which is quite rare in the world. And they were building Volvos and Mitsubishi in one on one line, which was at the time also very rare. So I was very lucky to be at this uh, innovative point in the process. And there I found out that um, they found a way to increase performance of the factory fast without... Uh, well, uh, overburdening the people. So I felt that that to be very interesting. And um, I had the opportunity to work with an interim manager at the time. And he showed me uh, maybe my first lean lesson. And that's that you need mirrors, he said. He said, you need to uh, look in the mirror every day. And what he meant is he had all these graphs and he had people uh, with their bicycle go into the factory to gather the data because there were no data on how many cars we made and how many were correct and first time right passes, etc. So he built a whole system and he called it his mirrors. So he said, I look in the mirror every day and see how, I, how am I doing? And I found that very intriguing. And that uh, set off a huge improvement program because he was like no one capable of knowing where need, they needed their help or where the maintenance guys needed to go or whatever. So he used it to steer his company. But uh, it was at the time still a company which was uh, strongly hierarchical. And uh, I'm not that good with... Uh, uh, the the sense that uh, you do what your boss says just because he says so. Because I just came from university and I learned that you need to assess and you need to be methodical. But there's no time to be methodical when you need to build a car every minute. So I soon found out that no science uh, in tech time, <laughs> at least not in that factory. So. And then I became a, a project manager and I discovered that uh, people can handle uh, a lot of responsibility. So it was a very young company and they taught me, you have the responsibility you take. And that meant that the people who could take on a lot, and I was lucky to be somebody like that, they could grow because they get the largest projects, etc. But uh, to me, project management was more a trick than a, than a profession. So it didn't challenge me enough. And then uh, I saw an ad from an, uh, a lean consultancy firm. And all the words, I heard, the buzzwords I heard in school and uh, in that automotive company were in that ad. And I thought, 
this is what I want. I want to be a consultant because then I never have a boss. I can talk with operators and with, uh, with the CEO just as partners. And that was the best decision I ever took in my career because I wanted to do it at the time. I thought this is what I like. So no career planning, just in the moment deciding this is what I need to do. And then I figured out that it had nothing to do with consultancy, what they were doing. Because consultants write reports and give presentations. And the only two, th two times I did that in my career as a consultant, these were the worst projects. So, so what we actually did is, and that's where I learned what actually management is, is we just went to the shop floor with the responsible person, the production manager, or maybe the CEO or whoever was hiring us to teach them this stuff. And we went to the floor and we asked the operators, what are your problems? And they always knew. And if you asked, how do you think this problem occurs? Why is that? They always knew. And if you ask, how do you think we could solve it? They also knew. So we helped these leaders to see what their work was. And that's kind of interviewing the people on the floor. What are the real problems? What are the real causes? And how can we solve them? And then, of course, the whole set of tools from Lean is helping you to give it some structure. Uh, and I made the mistake at the time to think that Lean was all these tools. But the, yeah, yeah. But the more I, the more I did this work, the more I find out it had nothing to do with factories. I thought it was something it had to do with factories, but it had nothing to do with factories. And as soon as I figured that out, that it's like my engineering mind already knew, it's a system, and it's a system designed to help customers get what they want. And the system is not only the technical side, but it's these people that make the system alive. So if you can figure a way out to connect everybody, then you get can have great results. And because, uh, well, I'm a father of three sons. So I always explain that uh, that means that you visit the hospital from time to time. Yeah. Yeah, because they break their arm or they break their leg or I don't know. Not just when they're born, but other visits. No, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not only when they're born, but yeah. And what I what I discovered, and it's always a bit difficult to say, but I felt terrible when I visited hospitals, especially when I developed this uh, lean mindset and perspective. And I thought, how is it possible that in the world that we we find so important because you're there, I'm there with my son and I'm feeling I have, a, uh, I have pain in my stomach and I have a headache and I cannot figure out how long it's going to take. Is there still time to go to the restroom? Uh, are they going, doing the right things to my son? Is he getting better? All those things. And there was, for what I felt, no system to assure 
and, and to improve the quality of what they were doing. And then I decided uh, together with some colleagues of that consultancy firm, we need to tell these people about, we called it world-class performance at a time or lean or whatever you call it. So that became my mission. My mission became to spread this idea of that a hospital is just like a factory, a system where the design of the system is determining the results. So please let us not blame everybody, but let's figure out a way to improve the system and then from so this is now we're 2005 i think for 2005 i start focusing on healthcare uh, as a consultant and uh, i became a partner in that consultancy firm and that went bankrupt in 2010 mm, yeah so uh, i had only one business relationship that was with the bank at the time um <laughs> But that, that was also good news because now I could truly focus uh, on my mission to help uh, healthcare improve. And um, I also discovered that um, there's not many play knobs you can turn uh, or buttons to push. I think uh, I found out that for me, the most important place to start is with leadership right yeah. and leadership is not a person it's a process mm. and i felt that everybody can be a leader as long as you want to change something so i start to specialize in okay how can how can i change the leadership mindset and behaviors of people so they start improving their process and their system such that by doing it they continuously improve and maybe this is what I, so these are this awareness came when i started as a independent uh, consultant and coach uh, i left the consultancy approach and i became more and more a coach because i felt it's uh my biggest gift to my customers is their self-reliance. If I can help them with something that they can use for the rest of their lives, then I would have the biggest impact. And that's maybe also why this book is called what it's called, to make uh, maybe the funnel go uh, <laughs> right. into the book. Right. Because it's called lean thinking for emerging healthcare leaders. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's about the thinking. It's about the mindset that they can use for themselves to first become themselves better, and then help their colleagues to become better, and therefore, thereby, their processes and thereby taking care, better care of patients. And it's called for emerging healthcare leaders because I feel that, um, and that was also the reason that uh, the American publisher, uh, Business uh, Expert Press, approached me. They figured that uh, there's a gap in the market of education when it goes to healthcare professionals trying to lead. There's not much uh, schools for them or training material, whatever. 
So they asked me, can you write something that these emerging leaders, so people who maybe were a doctor and now are a project leader or an innovator, or maybe a nurse who has become the department head, or how can we help them to get started with being a good leader right away? So I tried it to be to keep it practical. And that's why I translated my second book and not my first, because the first book is called Making People Better. And the second book is called Making People Better in Practice. So, so it would be the, the more tangible way to, well, to improve yourself. So that's how my career ended up to be an author. Yeah. I, I just want to jump in and say, I mean, there, there are so many parallels in our backgrounds. I also got into healthcare around 2005. I also left working for others in 2010 and started working uh, for myself, slightly different circumstances. But um, okay. the, other thing, the, other, the other thing I was going to say, though, just to show, I think we've, we think so much alike, Arno. Um, you don't see my notes. I didn't send you questions in advance, but everything that you talked about there followed exactly the questions I was going to ask. So how did you get oh, wow. involved into healthcare? What is an emerging leader? <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. You okay. made it very easy for me. I'm just sitting back okay. and like, oh, you're welcome. I, I was just <laughs> thinking, how am I going to fit all this in this little time we had? Well. <laughs> because, well, it's always good to talk about yourself. So, if you so, please uh, slow me down if you think that I'm uh, maybe uh, run over the edge a bit. No, it's okay. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll help keep. Moving things along, and hey, we'll we'll do we'll do other podcasts together, and we can okay, yeah. take a deeper dive into some of these topics. Um, so, um, stepping back a little bit, though, I mean, you know, I've I've had the opportunity to visit the Netherlands, oh, maybe even maybe five times over the last eleven years, and I've visited a, a couple of visited a couple different hospitals, and have attended um, some conferences. And so I've always been, you know, quite impressed with the the level of enthusiasm for lean um, across um, Dutch healthcare. And and for and, you know, for the the benefit of American listeners who don't know the differences across different European systems, we won't cover them all. But the Dutch system is not what people might think of when if they're familiar with the English, uh, the the NHS and the NHS. No. It, it, can, can you talk a little bit about how the Dutch healthcare system is structured? It's certainly not a single national organization. No. So I, I will take it like uh, 10,000 feet up. Or, and so um, the system is that it's, um, well, you would call it global payment, I guess. So, um, but um, we try to work in some way to get some, uh, market work. Uh, uh, so market would say that there's a demand and a supply, and that we arranged by we having this, uh, like you have in America, we have um, insurance companies, right? But these are not commercial. These are uh, foundations. They're not. So they're not allowed. They're not allowed to make a profit, but they. Um, they um, they receive payments from their uh, from their members or for, from their patients, 
And each year you get the opportunity to select your healthcare insurance company. And the differences are that they may, they may be a bit cheaper. They may be, uh, don't, are not open to all hospitals or so there's, there's little things that di differentiate them from each other. And then these uh, insurance companies, they, uh, they do the uh, procurement of healthcare uh, as representative for their patients. So they make contracts with hospitals and with physiotherapists and with whomever is there to provide uh, curative care. So we have one system for the curative care and uh, the most important party in that system is our, is our family or primary physician because they are the gatekeepers of the system, but they are also, um, I think they're very highly trained. That means that they can uh, filter off most of the issues of their patients. So that means that we have, well, not too many, uh, not too many patients are forwarded to the hospital, and that's where we win a bit uh, our costs because we save uh, people a visit to the hospital. So that that would be the system. So I pay as a, a patient, I pay a monthly fee to my insurance company. My insurance company. Um, procures, uh, makes a contract with a hospital. And then uh, I can visit that hospital and my bills are paid by the insurance company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's that's the system in, well. Well, and I think one other difference is that individuals buy insurance. It's not from uh, a workplace yeah. Yeah. benefit. Yeah, exactly. No, we don't have a system where the the employer is the buying party, no. No, individuals do, and we have, uh, it's uh, compulsory. So um, it's, uh, well, obliged by law to have uh, insurance. Uh, and the great thing about that is that it means also, uh, and there is a, which is also very important, is we have a, um, a base package. So, um, each healthcare insurance company, they are obliged by law to purchase or procure or whatever you call it, um, a certain set of uh, treatments um, to make sure that everything which is important and is, uh, well, people cannot take the risk to not insure it is there's the base package and it's all the same throughout the insurance companies. And then there's additional things you can uh, insure like your eyes, like uh, glasses or uh, contact lenses or physiotherapy or things that are either not highly priced or are uh, uh, maybe for, um, uh, symptoms that are not too severe. So, so it would never happen that somebody is, uh, I don't know, isn't allowed to go into the ER uh, 
because they hit the bus. Because it will, it could, it could. It's impossible for somebody like that to not be insured for those kind of treatments. I think that's also very important to know that that that's the so the high risk uh, indications are mm -hmm. all insured. Sure, sure. So thank you for. Um, setting that context. Um, but, you know, with the differences or similarities between, um, let's say, the American system and the Dutch system or the differences between the Dutch system and um, the NHS England, you know, I think the delivery of care ends up being very, very similar. Um, so, you know, to that point, I mean, Arno, how would you describe like what are the most talked about, most worked on motivations for lean in Dutch hospitals? Um, yeah, that's uh, interesting because, that, well, there, there's, well, there's two streams, you could say, because the interesting thing with things like lean is uh, they easily become the end in itself. So there's many people doing lean because their neighbors are doing lean. And we see that in healthcare, there's a strong tendency to uh, to do what other people in healthcare do. So lean is even getting a, a bit less attention because now we have value-based healthcare. So like, I think that those ideas could be combined. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Of course. But that's only if you. Um, that's the other stream. So there's one stream that's doing it because the neighbors are doing it. And they, uh, and they say, well, it's uh, awesome. You need to do lean. But if you see what are the biggest issues why they should do lean, um, well, then um, I think the biggest issue in the Netherlands currently as felt by the healthcare providers is staff shortages. And especially now during the COVID pandemic, that's even more pro, uh, pronounced because it's, um, well, yeah, we have ICUs that have uh, doubled their capacity to, to accommodate these COVID patients. And, um, but, and, um, What's very popular in the Netherlands, if it, when it's about parts of the lean system, then it's uh, uh, then it's that idea of continuous improvement, and that that's something that people on the shop floor do. Mm. So there's many hospitals that have opened their, I don't know, their uh, eyes for what nurses themselves can do to improve their work. And and of course that sounds like a good idea. That's a, that in itself it's a good idea That's because they like it and it's better. But uh, in my book, uh, in my first book, I call this happy lean. Mm. And why do I call it that? Because the intention is to keep the people happy. Yeah. But it's not connected to the strategy of the hospital. Mm. So what you see is that it's uh, it has great effect on the atmosphere in the wards, for instance. And yes, things get better. 
but it comes with little to no change in mindset and and uh, behavior of management and senior leadership. Um, so there's another. Uh, so this is very motivating, mm-hmm. but it's also a way uh, to keep it there by seeing it as a bottom-up strategy, but keeping it at the bottom. Uh, that's what uh, that's what I see often. So yeah, I mean, I would say that's good, but it's not fully sufficient. Exactly. Yes. Um, but so, I, I think that that happy lean, what you're describing, um, reminds me of a, a mutual friend and teacher of ours who just passed recently, uh, Norman Bodak. You know, he would call it quick and easy kaizen, just really, yeah, exactly. or, or Paul Akers who talks about you know two second lean, fix what bugs yeah. you. That that's a yeah. great start. Yeah, but if you don't have a system around it to uh, um, to have it grow, or um, and the the problem that I sometimes see is that if it's only making people happy and better working together, but it uh, it doesn't go anywhere, so it's not often not always goal oriented. I mean, if you, um, what I see a lot is, and that's the maybe a bit of the danger of this uh, strategy, is that um, if you if you improve from the uh, current situation away, I would say I'm not sure if that is correct English, but uh, anyway, instead of towards a goal, then the 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 well, the danger is that it goes in all directions, and that in the end, we the the total performance didn't improve much. And that's what I. Uh, so it's a great start, but it's also difficult because um, if you have a, I don't know, do you know there's a a model? It's uh, the roller coaster of emotions that you experience mm-hmm. when you have loss. So sure. when you change um, something, just, yeah, the, the the stages of grief or something. Yeah, yes. So I uh, I uh, came across somebody who changed it into the stages of emotions for change. And um, when you have change, it always starts with enthusiasm. Yes, we're going to do something new, awesome. So and but many people forget. That's the first stage. So as long as people are enthusiastic, you're probably not changing too much. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and so if you ask to what, what motivates people, well, this energy of enthusiasm is, is used a lot to motivate people. And Sometimes it's even the energy of the consultant or the coach that is used to create this energy. I've been used a lot to have people get energized, Mm -hmm. but that's not what needs to change because nurses and doctors alike, they're already motivated to change their work. But they need 
to know how and they need to be facilitated or if they're not facilitated, uh, well, maybe you should not be in the way at least. But um, it's very important. I have learned that you direct it. Maybe uh, to make a small sidestep to my book, that's why the, fir that's the, the, the first chapter is called Give Direction. Right. So if you want these kind of changes, which are represented by uh, lean management or wh whatever you call the new way of working, it's your job as a leader to, I call it give direction instead of uh, like Katie Anderson calls it set direction. I, I, I took the word give because I feel that's more positive and it says more that you're sure that you're a servant. Mm -hmm. It's it's for you to give yeah. direction, but it's for you to give. So sometimes when I try to teach leaders that they should ask more questions, they're going to ask their uh, their team members. Well, what's the goal? Yeah, but if you ask your team member what's the goal, you're if you don't watch out, you have ten different ten different goals. Mm -hmm. So no, it's not for you to ask them what's the goal. It's for you to give them direction. Right. Yeah. To make clear why they are a team, because they're only a team if you give them a goal. Yeah. If you don't give them a goal, you're not a team. Yeah. At least not in my definition. The definition that I use in the book is a team is a group of people working together towards the same goal. And it's the goal that defines the team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you would have in basketball, where the goal is to have more points than the opponent. And you're not allowed to have more than five. So you put five people in the in the court. Well, you have the goal, and then there there may be um, strategy. So, you know, more and more basketball teams now would say the strategy is to take as many three point shots as you can. Yeah. And then it might be up to the players then to uh, partly figure execute that strategy and figure out how to make that happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, in the book, um, again, it's lean thinking for emerging healthcare leaders. There's a lot in there, you know, on, on lean mindsets and, and change management. And um, there's two other things I wanted to touch on from the book that some people might think of as tools, but I think also um, have a lot of mindset and involved and, and relate to strategy in the management system. Um, so one, of course, near and dear to my heart, which is not in most lean books, so thank you for this, is a, a brief discussion of process behavior charts. And thank you for including that and you know for kindly mentioning um, measures of success. But the, the the question I wanted to ask you, Arno, is, you know, why, why do you think that's an important topic to expose people to? Um, because uh, it's all too easy, because I was uh, one of the people who did that, that to go from wanting to become lean or the best or whatever, to start eliminating waste because that's easy to explain and it's uh, it's logical to do, but then you forget two important other problems that Toyota was solving before they start eliminating waste. And the first is overburden. Mm -hmm. 
So if you're overburdened, it's impossible to have a system uh, giving you any results because it will be clocked. Um, and then if you have, if you reduce the overburden, that is needed so you can cope with variation. So, and I was taught the first course that I got um, when I went into this automotive company, as I recall, was statistical process control. And I, they had a, a, a matrix and um, you should learn from the matrix that um, you need to have statistical stability to be able to pre-improve the process. So I thought, I sh although it's very hard and it's maybe uh, more, one of the more difficult subjects, I have to explain to my audience that before they go improve anything, they have to figure out whether what they're doing is stable or not. Yeah. And I thought, and maybe I cannot teach them all, but I need to put in then that's the mindset thing. I have to teach them that overburden is first to be solved and then it needs to be stable. And only when it's stable, you can improve. And that has another uh, very important uh, effect because to stabilize, or to figure out your uh, whether it's stable, you get confronted with whether you have standards. Mm -hmm. And like Taichi Ono already said, there can be, without standards, there can be no improvement. So teaching people that um, a problem is nothing more or less than where you want to go and where you're now, and that, way, and that a standard is nothing more than describing where you want to go or what you want to happen or what you, that's, well, that uh, motivated me to um, put this in. And the great thing about it that uh, because I had the maybe the courage to go into this topic, which is not self-evident, uh, this became the thickest chapter. Because um, now I had a yeah. yeah, because now I had a very good reason to teach about standardization. Whereas if you start standardization as a method on itself in healthcare, you get a lot of uh, feedback, I would say. Well, it can cause problems. Again, <laughs> yeah. like if, yeah. if we make, like you said earlier, we don't want, the goal is not pushing lean methods. The goal is improvement and exactly. excellence. Yes. And you don't want to push standard work without yeah. a problem. And we, exactly. And we can only, uh, the biggest problem uh, for uh, uh, in healthcare to improve that there's very little problem awareness because they uh, the problems they are aware of are symptoms like staff shortages so we have to teach them what the actual problems are before we do anything else and that's why I figured it would be helpful to put the process behavior charts in the book yeah Oh, that's great. I'm glad you did. And um, the one other um, method, um, you know, there, there's a, a chapter here. It was chapter 
11 on um, job instruction, uh, a case study, um, successful standardization through job instruction. And that draws on um, training within industry, as you write about. Um, why, you know, why, why do you think that? I mean, you've already touched on it, but you know, can, can you share a little bit about this, you know, this training within industry method? People might look and say, well, that was developed during the Second World War. That's what old doesn't mean it's outdated. I think the fact that it's still being used today proves how helpful it is. Exactly. Maybe with yoga. <laughs> yoga we do already for 5,000 years, so it must be good. Because otherwise we would have abandoned it already. <laughs> or or uh, I don't know, the, in the beginning of the 19th, at the end of the 19th century, we, uh, we, did, we invented the car. So shouldn't we drive cars now because they were invented 100 years ago? No, that's no. So I the, no the 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 power of the 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 trading within industries is um, that had this it has proven itself in the well World War Two, mm -hmm. and it uh, the most important thing is that the method didn't change. Mm -hmm. So the method was so good <laughs> yeah. that the only thing to be successful with trading with industry is following the method. Yeah. So, well, uh, I rest my case almost. But, <laughs> well, yeah. And, but and that has to do with the I don't know the the simplicity of it, and it's um, it's very easy. It's very difficult for people who don't know what it is or didn't experience it to understand how powerful it is. But it takes very little to start believing in a method. I mean, um, in the book, I, I'm not sure. Did I put a picture of myself in? I'm not sure. Well, in the book or in the case study, I'm explaining that uh, um, part of the case study is that they... Uh, trained me, an engineer, uh, uh, on a nursing task, which was to, um, to um, I don't know, I had to uh, use a scanner to measure uh, the blood of an unborn child. So if, you, if I would explain, well, they let me uh, scan the blood of an unborn child, you would say, they're nuts. But in 30 minutes, I could do this task flawlessly. Mm -hmm. So that's, well, that was all it took for me to again understand, yes, this is so powerful. If you, if you take this method and you standardize the right way, you can... Um, well, you can teach people things that they might take years to learn from experience. Yes. And I think that, um, I think even if we could do only one thing for healthcare right now to uh, help them with this pandemic, I would say training within industries. Because the whole, if we take the whole structure from World War II, there, there, they had a great, uh, well, challenge because 
well, the men went to war, so we had to teach the women how to build arms. Right, exactly. Planes and munitions. Yeah, ammunition and tanks and whatever. So this method, well, we all know how the war ended. This was not because they you had bad arms. No, the arms you used, they helped us to invade and conquer and take back Europe. So these women were trained within year, within months to do a task they were never trained for, mm -hmm. and they did it extremely well. Yeah. So what if we would train healthcare people to do all their, their tasks that are related to this COVID so we can have enough manpower to, well, to tend to all these patients. Yeah, there's history where even during the Second World War, there are nursing journal articles that were published just after the war, looking back at what had already been done, training new healthcare professionals. Yes, a lot of the women who then went into the factories created a need for backfilling and hiring in healthcare where they might have worked before. Yes. Um, and yeah, you know, there are three episodes going back in the Lean Blog interviews um, series um, about TWI for people who want um, to hear more about this. Um, episode 196 with Jim Hunsinger. Um, episode 202 with Patrick Graup, who's talking specifically about TWI and healthcare. And then episode 314 with Skip Stewart and Brandon Brown, um, who are talking about the, uh, the application there. And um, further evidence of our aligned um, thought process, Arno, the follow-up question I was going to ask you about TWI was related to COVID, as you've already brought up. And you know, um, having to figure out how to do mass COVID vaccination. Um, you know, I've, I've seen news reports. I've talked to one physician executive who's talking about the need to hire new people or you've got medical students who maybe haven't given an injection before. And there, I think there is such an opportunity for TWI to train people quickly and effectively and consistently. Yeah, exactly. Through TWI. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is, and um, but um, what people in healthcare need to do is uh, get rid of the idea that uh, healthcare is so special that they have to figure it out all on their own. In they terms don't. of training methods in and management. in terms of any method outside their own realm. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that we should tell nurses how to uh, uh, but how to train another nurse on how to put in an IV. Mm -hmm. There's a world's best method and it's not used. Mm. So I think that's that would be such a huge opportunity. Yes. To because especially because um, now um, we take so much time to figure things out that that young nurses, um, well, they get overburdened before they get to the point where they start understanding what the true work is. Yeah. In the Netherlands, there's uh, double-digit numbers of people 
who want to leave the the sector and that's really that's a huge problem whereas if we could uh, help them get trained so they can do only what they need to do instead of figuring everything out and running around and I mean the I did a I was working in a public health organization just um, last year 2020 and what I did is I helped uh, some of the doctors there to uh, figure out where their time went so and then I had to uh, I had them color their time and so green time was everything which was directly related to helping patients mm -hmm. and then yellow time was everything that is required by law or by their profession or whatever to make sure that we can tend to these patients. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you can think of uh, stuff like uh, uh, things you need to do for privacy or uh, maybe uh, the electronic medical records, uh, those kind of things, but also education, which is also necessary. You need to educate the doctors so they can help the patients. And then we had red time. That's everything which is waste. Yeah. So waiting, computers not working, um, I don't know, uh, managing things. So the doctors were managing a lot of things like uh, uh, when patients didn't show up, the doctor had to call the patients for a new appointment or whatever. All the so now for you, but you're, uh, you're, although you were not in the product, you may be too much of an insider, but now maybe you can tell me how much of their time was red and how much of the time was yellow and how much of the time was green. For the doctors. For the doctors, yes. I would guess only 30% of their time was green. Yeah, if they were lucky. They had 25%. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I almost said twenty five percent, but um, I you're right. My guess was an educated guess because I've seen studies that show in nursing that green time is very consistently thirty to thirty five percent. Exactly, I've seen it through some of my own studies that I've done similarly with nurses. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's so unfortunate when and and that leads to frustration and burnout. With exactly. the doctors yes. and the nurses. But it also tells you that there's no point in hiring more doctors. Yeah. Well, let's make better use. Yes. I mean, we could triple their productivity mm -hmm. and they could still do th stuff that wasn't for the patient. So, And they wouldn't be overburdened. No, Exactly. Because that was the biggest problem. Because one of the problems was that they had a they felt uh, staff shortages. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course. Because you can, if you're only twenty five percent of the time working for your patients, you can see only so many patients. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yes, there's a clear need and a clear benefit, and yeah. it just goes to show again how similar things are between an American hospital, a Canadian hospital, a Dutch yeah, hospital. It's yeah. Yes. What I figured out is if you look uh, to hospitals, they're the same everywhere around the world and everywhere the last 200 years. 
So they start, they're all siloed and everybody's very specialized in one particular task. So, so that's also maybe the problem. We don't know that there's another way. Right. So we think this is, yeah, this is it. We have done it always like this and we are healthcare. So we do what's best for patients. Well, and we can help them really fulfill that promise. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, we could. So I hope that maybe some healthcare leaders are listening and they they are willing to give it a try. Uh, I don't know, read my book or make an appointment, call me. <laughs> uh, because if I can help you in any way to see how much the opportunity is, and how little time it can take to help your team uh, be more productive. We need it more than ever, I would say. I agree, I agree. So um, our guest today has been Arno Aurelio. The book is Lean Thinking for Emerging Healthcare Leaders um, in the US. It's uh, available through Amazon um, in Europe. Um, is so if people want to buy the Dutch version or the English version, where, where do you recommend people do that in Europe? Yeah. So, the, uh, it depends a bit on where you are, where you're at. So, um, for the Dutch, uh, version of the book, you can go to either my website and that's called mensenbetermaken.nl. Um, so that's for people who speak Dutch. They, they uh, can figure that out. Um, or they can buy it at uh, the, the Dutch online stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the English book, it's a little bit more complex. Uh, the easiest way, if you're anywhere in the world except for the Netherlands, mm-hmm. um, then um, you can either go to Amazon or you can go to uh, my publisher's website. They're called Business Expert Press. Dot com and uh, there you can buy a book be- uh, from anywhere in the world because they have all kind of uh, publishing partners in the in Southeast Asia and in, uh, in the UK and for people who are in the Netherlands and want to get the English book they can either get it uh, by sending me an email or they can go to any online store we have in the Netherlands like ball or management book or so okay i guess that's um that's the the details about uh, how to get the book okay and then do you have a website in english um yes i do and uh that's where you can send uh so it's called lean thinking in healthcare.com and on that website you can uh well, buy my book because it's directly linked to the publisher's website. You can uh, subscribe to my blog. So then you're sure that anytime I uh, provide new content, you will get it. And you can, uh, if you like, and if you need, um, I offer anybody in healthcare who is trying to change something, uh, a free strategy call for 30 minutes. And in that call, I will assure you that you will have figured out what you can do next. And um, that can be anything 
depending on the problem you or the issues you have. So it can be either in your personal development or it can be some process problem. Whatever you think is useful for you, just make an appointment and uh, I try to help. All right. So again, that's leanthinkinginhealthcare.com. Our guest has been Arno Aurelio. Um, thank you so much, Arno. I really enjoyed being able to talk with you. Let, let's do this again, maybe later this year, if there's a, a different topic you want to take a deeper dive into. Let's let's do that. Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Who knows? Uh, I'm trying to, um, my first Dutch book, I'm trying to translate it in English uh, currently. So maybe I'm uh, quick enough to uh, present it in your uh, your podcast somewhere uh, later this year if not uh, maybe we uh, come uh, with another topic uh, keep in touch okay that would be great okay be well Arno, Arno. Yeah. thank you, thank you thank very you. much thanks for listening this has been the Lean Blog Podcast for Lean News and Commentary updated daily visit www.leanblog.org if you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.